You've hit play on the Screen Companion, a show about making your viewing time count. It's been a long road getting from there to here. Today we're talking about Enterprise. Now, on a previous episode, you mentioned that your aunt got you into TNG. Is that correct? That is 100% correct, sir. Besides that, what's your early relationship with the movies and other shows? Like, what did you really get into after TNG? Obviously, you start watching all the Star Trek movies, and then you, you go into the Star Wars movies. At the time, we obviously only had quality Star Wars movies, and that's probably a whole other episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, from there, like every Star Trek show, you got to give it a chance. Are there any of the shows that, and I'm not talking anything after Enterprise, the Abramsverse does not exist to me, have you watched a lot of every series, or is there one you've watched very little of? I watched a lot of Voyager. I watched all of Next Generation, all of Deep Space Nine. This was the one, Enterprise was the one that I didn't watch a lot of. Out of the movies, what's your favorite movie in Trek? Oh, man. That's tough. I'm going to give it to Undiscovered Country over Wrath of Khan. Ooh. But I absolutely love First Contact. I loved seeing the show I grew up on getting that big-time treatment. And to reconnect it to today's topic, it leads directly into Enterprise. Uh, yes, that is true. Oh, Segway! Segways! Make it so. <laughs> yes! <laughs> I want you to think back to 2001. This pilot, Broken Bow, came out September 2001. What did you think about it back then when it started? I think I read somewhere a synopsis that the captain, Jonathan Archer, was from upstate New York originally, but moved to San Francisco. I was a Jonathan born in upstate New York who moved to San Francisco, so I was like, okay. And then you met a hot Vulcan lady? Right, like I was 18 at the time, so. <laughs> and we'll get into the hypersexualization in the pilot. When I was 18, it was just like, okay. But now it's just like, what? They had like a five minute scene where two of the characters were just rubbing each other up in their underpants. And it was for science. It's always for science. That's what I tell every girl. <laughs> Why are you taking off my shirt? It's for science. Science! <laughs> I was 12 or 13 when the show premiered, and as far as leading up to this show, I remember reading an article about it, and they mentioned it was a prequel. I told my dad that, and he scoffed and didn't like the idea of it. A lot of fans back then weren't too high on going backwards in the timeline. But I wanted to give it a shot because I wasn't huge into Voyager, so I was happy to try the next show. I remember really liking the pilot, and then I stuck with it all the way through. Now I still like it, but I see some of the problems in it. Let me ask you to give us a basic summary of the plot. It seems to be that the Vulcans are a bunch of jerks. 
It starts with that nice little scene between Archer and his father. Apparently the Enterprise is the first... I don't know what the class... They probably weren't classifying them. But it's Starfleet's first official starship to explore new worlds and strange civilizations. It's first Warp 5 vessel, whatever the heck that means. (laughs) (laughs) And then it cuts to, I think my favorite scene, I think I might have ever seen in a Star Trek, a Klingon getting shot by (laughs) an old racist farmer. (laughs) Whoa, 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 it doesn't make him racist. That Klingon charged him. That's true, the Klingon did charge him, but he definitely had a space shotgun. (laughs) I love how they denoted it by having the farmer cock the shotgun, and then it makes a little electronic word noise, so you know it's not regular ammo. Yeah, the electronic noise it makes. (laughs) Get off my space lawn, and then he shot the foreigner. What would the Klingon have done? His arc was he had information to stop a potential Klingon civil war. Yeah. He was just trying to get back home. Would he just beat the crap out of that farmer man and started an intergalactic incident, or...? I don't think he would have wanted to kill him, because to him he just doesn't care about the farmer, but the very fact that the guy pointed a weapon at him, I think he would see it for what it was and then just have to smack him down, because he's, uh, Debo from Friday. Oh my god, (laughs) he is! I didn't realize that. I think I heard him yell Craig in between his Klingon epithets. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's start really talking about it by asking you, John, as a pilot, did you like it? It started really good. Knowing who the main cast is, when you see the characters that you know are going to be on the ship sprinkled in, and they do a really quick job of getting them onto the ship, I thought that was done really well. The theme song is so bad. (laughs) Okay, let's break it down a little bit. Is it the fact that it has lyrics that bothers you more than it not being an orchestral sound? Uh, it's... Or is it all of the above? The fact that it has lyrics is already bad. It should be orchestral. The lyrics are bad. It's a bad song. Was it written for the show, or...? No, it was repurposed. Oh, see, that makes it even worse. Well, then we're off to a rocky start, because that theme song is like 10 minutes into the show. I think it helps, because of how bad it is, there's nowhere but up. (laughs) In a way, really does tell you what you're in for, whether the producers understood it or not. Things aren't going to match up always, and there's some things you're going to like about what you're seeing on screen, but other aspects of it, whether it's the music or maybe plot or something, it's not going to be a perfect show. No, and no show is perfect. When you have it in the context of other Trek, what do you like or don't like about it? I was thinking about this watching the episode. They're standing on the shoulder of giants. They know what works and what doesn't work. I agree with you on being an apologist. I think you're right to do that. I'm not going to argue for the show. But people were just, I think, tired of Star Trek at that point. Not sick of it, just tired. Because it was all almost formulaic. Like, everything was like, okay, we figured out what works, what doesn't. Here's the formula. Just do that. It was all pretty much plug-and-play type of stuff. Well, let's talk about it then in the sense of... Viewers that are first-timers, aren't into Star Trek, 
might even dislike it to some extent, their perception of the franchise. Do you think this pilot is a good one to start with? Yes, in that context. I actually think that's a very good pilot to start with. And I do think it's one of the better pilots they've put out. Were there any scenes or characters that you particularly enjoyed? The doctor was the reason to tune in. And he's wearing that heavy makeup. Good actor, he projected through it. Then everyone else was just humans. The awe these characters feel in this pilot is so refreshing versus the other earlier Trek shows. They're pumped up about it, and they're also a little apprehensive, like when Hoshi feels little tremors when they're changing warp speeds. Yeah. It's nice character moments that make them very relatable. They all were very relatable. I thought the Doctor was a good choice. All the other Doctors felt almost emotionless compared to him. I don't know if any of them would be my number one in that position, like my number one Doctor or number one Helmsman. I did like the fact that Hoshi, the comm officer, that they gave her a nice specificity and intelligence that they tried to retcon into Uhura in the Abrams movies. But in the original show, you really got no sense of her intelligence for language. Uh, that's a good point. She's there to be pretty in the background and repeat what the computer says, which was a joke from, uh, what was the Tim Allen movie? Galaxy Quest. Galaxy Quest. I can't believe I forgot the name of that. It's like one of the best movies ever made. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's the pressure. You put a lot of pressure on me, Frank. I know. I want to do well for you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, try harder, damn it. <laughs> damn. Oh. But you're completely right. She was such a good character. Yeah, they showed an intelligence to her. No one knew Klingon, and she's there figuring it out on the fly. I remember when the Klingon was under duress there, and he first woke up, and she's trying to figure out what he's saying, and she's like, I think he's saying something about dirty grandmas? And then the doctor's like, he could be. His brain's weird right now. Because he's under sedatives. Yeah. <laughs> I love that scene when the uh, Sulaban, the antagonistic alien race for the episode and to some extent the series, when they board Enterprise and they steal Klang, the Klingon courier that can stop the Civil War, they get in there and turn off the lights and get into that sick bay where Klang is speaking gibberish and they kidnap him and the lights turn back on and Archer's looking at an empty table because they took him. That was a great little thriller scene with the Sulaban in the corridor crawling over stuff. Yeah. Aliens came to mind when they were invading the ship and they had the uh, red vision, I guess, is what they were seeing. As it turns out, they were all genetically modified. There was a lot of homages in that. Like, they knew where it would take from to make that scene better. Another scene I would point out where they go for flair is the decontamination scene. <laughs> they kept zooming in on her back dimples. <laughs> the director had <laughs> a fetish for back dimples. I'm just like, yeah, yeah, get that. Okay, now rub them. Well, the director was having problems with his wife at the time. And <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, beam me up some of that. I should have done more research on this. I feel like I read one of the people on that show released a public statement talking about how sexualized their character was. 
And that definitely feels like the scene of, like, this is where it starts. And I know several episodes. Topol, the uh, Vulcan name? Yeah. I know a lot of episodes. They just tried to show her in her underpants. Yeah, some of it, well, perhaps all of it (laughs) feels a bit unnecessary. But when you compare it to Trek post-05 that shall not be named, (laughs) if you're going to try to go sexy, I think this was a good in-between because, yes, as a viewer, then and now, it's hard not to notice those little peaks hiding under her shirt. I guess Vulcans don't like to wear bras. I mean, there's no logical reason to wear a bra. It's probably uncomfortable. There you go. See, it was the character's choice. I think it redeems itself a little bit in that in the scene, neither of them is giving sidelong glances to the other. They're not acknowledging the sexiness of it. And it feels almost like, oh, these guys are enlightened and they're in the 22nd century and they're above just over-sexualizing each other. They can rub oil on each other's backsides, no problem. Then I will counter with saying that is impossibly against canon because of how much Kirk, who comes after this, got his, I don't want to say the word dick wet, because <laughs> <laughs> there's got to be a better metaphor for that. Game on. He got his uh, phaser polished. Yes. He shot some uh, photon torpedoes (laughs) in the name of peace. You haven't dissuaded me that that scene's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, to a, what, 13-year-old Frank and an 18-year-old John, that was a great scene, (laughs) but... I can flip-flop on it, depending on my mood. Mm -hmm. Uh... I should be attacking you. You're the apologist, right? (laughs) I should be backing you into a corner and... You have, and I like being backed into that corner. (laughs) (laughs) I'm in the corner of that decontamination chamber watching those two lather each other up. Oh, (laughs) jeez. So somebody does put baby in a corner, is what you're telling me. (laughs) Well, they were using baby oil on each other, weren't they? (laughs) (laughs) We've talked about T'Pol a bit, the female Vulcan on the show. I don't want to sell her short. She deserves a bit more gold-encased latinum than we're giving her. (laughs) Jolene Blaylock. She does a great job playing a Vulcan with conflicting feelings. I think she's who you were mentioning has done some interviews where she felt overly sexualized as to Paul. For sure she was. Yeah. They do have an attractive cast with uh, T'Pol and the communications officer. Obviously, Scott Bakula, that chin. Anthony Montgomery (laughs) playing Travis Mayweather, the helmsman. There are some scenes with, I think, his shirt off, and he looks pretty hunky. He is hunky. Let's get into the weird details behind the scenes of this show. Rick Berman, executive producer. Brandon Braga, the other creator. So these two guys were told by the network, we want to premiere the next Star Trek show, and we want it to overlap with the last season or two of Voyager. And these guys said, why don't we give it a few years? Let's give it a rest for a bit. 
And they're like, no, we're going to go through with this. Either you're going to do it or we're going to find somebody else. The network at one point wanted them to feature boy bands every episode. That there would be a boy band playing in the mess hall. Because this show premiered on UPN, don't forget that. Oh yeah, that's right. And they're like, you just have some teen boy band because we need to sell some music through this. No, that's that's wrong. That's bad. <laughs> and they're like, but how do we explain there's a different boy band every week? It's a limited crew on the ship. That's, oh man, that's terrible. The creators had toyed with the idea of possibly setting the whole first season on Earth leading up to the launch of the NX-01. So it would be a very political show set on Earth where it's kind of the right stuff, and they're doing the trials and tribulations of getting that bird to fly. It was too different for the network, and they said, no, nah, you got to get them into space immediately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree that going to space immediately was a better idea. As good as that sounds, at this point in time, no other species is involved, and you tune in for political intrigue between humans and other species. But I want to say that if we did that premise now, I think people might be willing to tune in for that. Because we can't have it both ways. The last couple shows did feel very formulaic, and it was just seven or eight people constantly getting into adventures. Hardly anybody ever dies. And this would have been a big departure, so I would have at least liked to see half a season, maybe. Not a full season of it. At least give me a taste of something else. Yeah, I think with Voyager, the premise backfired to the point where exactly you, no one could die. You can't have new characters guest star and possibly become main characters. Something else that they had gotten into with the network, they had conceived it as being much more dangerous for the first crew, and they wanted accidents to happen all the time and for people to die on the ship and for them to constantly be questioning if it was worth it to go into space when they had mishaps every other episode. This was another one where they were vetoed and told, no, you can't kill people that quickly. <laughs> Man, oh, that's, that's some Game of Thrones stuff, right? Like, Game of Thrones introduced the whole concept of, like, yeah, if you can filter through main cast, you can start casting bigger actors. Not that anyone in this show was not worth it. Like, it was such a good cast. And Star Trek's done a really good job of just finding really good people who were great actors. Could you imagine, like, the opening captain is Tom Cruise? It was Tom Cruise, it just dies in an explosion. <laughs> Let me try a segment, a new one. I'm going to call it the Screen Companion Final Grades. Ooh. And I'm going to go over a few topics. Give me a grade from A to F how well you feel it did. The quality of the main cast. A. Quality of the plot. B. The Sulaban as the new bad guy race. F. <laughs> wow. You start with Klingons, where do you go? It doesn't matter what comes next. I'm not really that in love with the Klingons. Klingons aren't necessarily A, but there's a lot of other ones first. Because this is a grading on a curve situation. you got to look at everyone. 
Archer as a Star Trek captain. Now, is this him solo, or is this him compared to other captains? Compared to other captains. Ooh. Oh. I'm giving him the B. The B plus. Let's go B plus. The Archer to Paul relationship. C plus. It gets better, folks, I swear. Just now for a couple seasons. <laughs> <laughs> you have 50 episodes to get through. I won't sugarcoat it. I was thinking about it leading up to this. I would say, because there were 98 episodes of Enterprise, I feel like a third of them are worth watching. This is The Apologist, folks. Yeah, yeah. How well the pilot uses the first ship slash prequel premise. What grade would you give it? I'm giving that an A+, sir. Hmm. And then a very short version of TLDL, Too Long Didn't Listen. Do you think a non-Trek viewer would get into this show? I feel like this show is the most non-Trek friendly. A memory I have is back when I went to college in San Francisco, my first summer there, it was 2007, and they were playing Enterprise on repeat when it was still the sci-fi channel. And I was shocked it was the common room at the dorm. What dorm were you in? I was at Pine Street. I shouldn't have interrupted because this will make no sense to viewers. No, no, that's fine. This will make sense to all the Academy of Art listeners, of which there are none. (laughs) Yeah, because they're all too poor to have ordered Spotify. (laughs) (laughs) Or too poor to have gone to the Academy. (laughs) Not that I was rich. (laughs) Right? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, they were playing it in the common room. I've never seen so many people watching Trek before. This is awesome. (laughs) How many friends did you make? From that experience. Well, I wasn't such a geek that I was writing down names like, oh, this guy looks like he's really watching. (laughs) I'll have to talk to him later. The answer is none, because they would have been on this podcast. (laughs) If you've never seen Trek, should you start chronologically with this as your introduction to it? That, oh, yes and no. What made this good to me was knowing the other series, knowing where things are going to go. But on the other part of it, you always want to start in chronological canon order. (sighs) That's tough. That's tough. That's a tough question. A friend of mine hadn't seen Trek before at all, and I did start him on Enterprise first, and he actually loved it, watched it all the way through. He even watched the final episode, which I told him not to watch. (laughs) (laughs) Why would he do that? I know. He could have saved himself pain, but he laughed at it. He understood why I said not to watch it, but he still did it. I think objectively, I can't defend the show and say it's the best Trek. I don't think so. But if you haven't watched anything else, it's a good way to dip your toe, whereas some of the other shows like TNG are very sterile and intelligent. But with their intelligence, it's kind of hard to access sometimes. And that's part of the criticism I hear from people who don't get into it. So if that's what they're feeling, maybe Enterprise is a good place to start. Yeah. Yeah, that's... 
You're so eloquent. Because, <laughs> I mean, there are boobs in this. <laughs> <laughs> and then we crash. Then we crash that plane. There's something about that juxtaposition that I do like when you see a character that is either very pretty or in a very skimpy outfit, but then you come to find out they're one of the smartest people in the room. I do like that dichotomy. The writer's room is just like, how do we get away with titties? <laughs> Make her smart. Make them Vulcan titties. <laughs> do you think Paul is hotter than Commander Tucker is Southern? Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That's great. That's, a, that's the best question I've ever been asked in my entire life. That is by far the best question I've ever been asked. And you, uh, you specifically are the best question asker I've ever met. Because <laughs> he really lays it thick. He did. He did. That's that. That's what I was talking about earlier with the whole, like, we got to distinguish these white people of just, like, <laughs> the one dude is clearly is like, I'm super British. <laughs> Tucker was like, I'm super Southern. And then Mayweather was like, I'm from space. <laughs> <laughs> like, they couldn't even make the black guy from Earth. Like, come on, people. <laughs> that's a great question. Oh, my God. I'm going to argue, and of course I asked you, I do want to hear your opinion, but I'm going to jump in and say, because it's a juicy one. <laughs> we talked about seeing the raisins under T'Pol's shirt, mm -hmm. but that was like one scene. Besides that, I don't recall there being anything particularly sexual that they were showing with her. But Trip, there are multiple scenes where he's busting out Southern sayings. That's true. <laughs> oh, that's so true. In the pilot alone, yes, he's more Southern than she is hot, which is saying a lot. He does a really good job. He must have eaten a bucket of KFC before every scene. 